Welcome to Practical Christian Living. It was sin that Jesus put away when he died upon the cross. And that is why when someone says, listen, I think there's another way to go to heaven. I think if you're sincere about what you believe, then you'll go to heaven. Or I think that if you just go to church, see, they want to take away the blood. They want to take away the sacrifice. They want to take away the work that Jesus did. We may never realize, at least not while we're here on this earth, just how great and wonderful a sacrifice Jesus suffered for us on that cross. He was the only acceptable sacrifice, and that is why He is the only way. If you have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, invite Him into your life today. Allow Him to take your burdens, your pain, and most importantly, your punishment for sin. With more out of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 28, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Why was it so gory? Why the sacrifice of an animal? When you think about the tabernacle, when you think about the sacrifices, they were done daily. When you think about the specific smell of blood, any of you guys hunters killed an animal? Some of you guys are hunters, you've never killed anything, all right? But for those of you who are hunters, Reminds me of a joke. I think I have time to tell this joke. I'm going to tell you this joke. It has nothing to do with the text. It has to do with hunters. So there are three guys that, that die and go to heaven. Uh, one of them, the first one goes up to the pearly gates, and uh, St. Peter says, um, what's your IQ? And he says, 140. He says, oh, 140. Did you get your PhD? He said, yes, I did. He says, enter in the joy of the Lord. He says to the second guy, what's your IQ? He says, about 110. He says, oh, did you get your master's? Yes, I did. Well, enter into the joy of the Lord. Third guy comes up and says, uh, what's, your, what's your IQ? He says, 70. He says, did you get your deer? <laughs> all right, anyway. So, just a little bit of a hunter joke there, all right? Um, I'll never get it back now, will I? All right. So, it's a very gory process to slaughter an animal. The first time that I ever did it, I began to hunt when I was 35. There's a friend of mine, he still attends the church. In fact, he may be here today. Um, him and another friend who had hunted a lot decided to teach me and Ernest Finklia, Jr., who was one of our assistant pastors at the time, how to hunt. So they helped me go out and pick a gun, and I picked out a super Red Hawk 44 Magnum, and I put a scope on it, and I, I, I put in for a ham hunt. It's a handgun or muzzleloader uh, kind of a hunt. So I had my handgun, and, and, and here's what these, these expert hunters did. There's four of us, two guys that know what they're doing and two guys that don't. They put us two together, me and Ernest, and sent us out. <laughs> I know now what they were doing. They were like, these guys are going to get in our way. Let's get rid of them. We'll kill our animals, and then we'll see if we can get them one. Well, I went over, and when Ernest got out of the tent that morning, actually, we showed up. We drove, drove out, but he showed up, and I'm telling you, he had five guns. He had like, I don't know if what gun I want to shoot him with, whether it's my muzzle loader or this pistol or that pistol or this. He had like five guns. So after about a half hour of hiking, he was like, I've got to figure out something better with these guns. And so I go, I'm going to go look over here. So I went and I sat down on the edge of a cliff and Havelina ran out from under me. So I'm like, there they are. Now the thing about Havelina, when deer, their response to trouble is flight. That's what makes deer so difficult to hunt. When you scare them, spook them, or they smell, yep, boom, they go. And you see them running away. Havelina are different. Their fear response is to freeze. Ooh. Maybe they won't see me which turns them into a great target. 
I've, I've said before, they were built for archery hunting. Oh, there he is, you know. So this, these javelina run out, and then they freeze. All of them are like, something's wrong. I smell somebody. Something's wrong. Freeze. So that poor javelina. I shot him five times with my 44 Magnum. Those, the guys who knew what they were doing didn't even tell me where to shoot them. They never even said, when you see them, you know, you want to shoot them behind. You want to shoot them behind the shoulders, by the way. You want to get a double lung. It's pretty quick. You want to do that. Now I know that. Then I didn't. So then I go down there, and now I'm standing over it. Now, it's me and Ernest, and we've never hunted before, never cleaned an animal, and I've got to clean it. And the Bible says that a righteous man eats what he kills. So this shot-up javelina is now in my future. In burritos, javelina burritos. Which are not very good. Especially... When they have been shot up. Now, I've killed some javelina since then, and I've learned to donate them to Sportsmen for Hunger. Give them somebody else to eat. That's the truth. All right, so we, we, we carry this pig, and it's kind of funny because we didn't know how to carry it. So we tied up its legs, and we got a stick, and we ran it through, and we carried it like the children of Israel carrying grapes. We carried our pig. And we carried it up to where we were supposed to meet with the guys who knew what they were doing, and they didn't show up. They end up, I think, picking up the very herd that I scared and ran off forever, and they followed it forever. And so finally, I just had to get the knife and go to town. And it was an ugly thing. There was a lot of gagging that took place because <laughs> ideally, you want to be able to clean the animal out and keep all the organs intact and not, you know, you just don't want to mess with the stuff. Ideally, um, it was a mess because I shot it five times with a 44 Magnum. And uh, all of that to say that they, they slaughtered animals regularly in the tabernacle. And all of that should tell us of how bad sin is. That's why he sprinkled blood on all of these things and on the book and on the people. That's why it was so bloody. That's why it was so gory, because it tells us how bad sin is. See, I think that we have a tendency in the days in which we live, to think that sin is not all that bad. We have a feeling that we're living in a progressive society. A technology is increasing. We're gaining better understanding and knowledge all of the time. And therefore, we're understanding what's good and what's bad and what you can do and what you can't do and morally the right and wrong things to do. And people are trying to rewrite morals. But you do understand that where we are in the world today with our acceptance of moral or immoral things is nowhere near as bad as it's gotten in the past. There are some Greek cultures and especially the Roman culture where the morals were much worse than what they are today. When you are a moral individual and people say, well, you're old fashioned, it's not really true. The person who is really old-fashioned is the person that doesn't have morals, is the person that doesn't care about morals at all. Because you go back to these societies that were destroyed because of their lack of morals. And, and morals within society is a pendulum that constantly swings. It swings one way and then gets to the extreme and then swings the other way and gets to the extreme and swings back the other way. We're just in that process of that pendulum swinging now and it's on that upswing. We have a tendency to think that sin isn't that bad. But listen, and I quoted it already, the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us that sin is destructive. God doesn't want you to sin, not because God wants to ruin your fun, not because God doesn't want you to do something that you enjoy, but because it's destructive. 
Do you believe that? The Bible in the book of Proverbs talks about a young man who goes by the corner of the house of a harlot. And he says that young man didn't know that his very life was being destroyed as he went there. God didn't want him to go there, not because he wanted to ruin his fun, but because that is destruction and ends up in destruction. Sin is death. Sin is deceptive. Sin brings destruction. And so God would keep us from that. If you want to know how bad sin is, then just look at the wages. It's death. All of us have been touched by death. Well, it was only months ago that I watched my wife take her very last breath and I saw the result of sin. Not saying that it was some sin that brought her to that place, but sin in general that brings death for all of us. Some people breathe their last breath when they're very young and some when they're old. Uh, the disciples, out of all of the disciples, James and John were brothers. James was the first of the disciples to be killed shortly after Jesus as a young man. And John died when he was an old man. None of us are guaranteed a certain amount of time but death, which again, all of us have had touch our lives, is the wages of sin. Now, the death of Jesus as well. Have you ever wondered why the death of Jesus had to be so severe? Why was he beaten beyond looking like a man? When he was arrested, he went into five trials. At the fifth trial, it was taken by the Roman guard, the Praetorium. They put a bag over his head and they punched him, saying, prophesy, which one of us hit you? They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They mocked him and they beat him with their fists and they beat him with rods. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he no longer looked like a man. His beard had been torn from his face and he had been beaten so severely that he didn't look like a man. Then he was scourged, which is to be beat with 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Then he carried the cross up Golgotha or the hill Calvary and they stretched his arms out on that cross and the hammer fell on the nails and they drove through his flesh into that tree and they hung him up between heaven and earth. It was brutal and it was bloody. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson wanted to, he said this in an interview, I wanted to take people up to the very edge of the cliff and then I wanted to shove them off. He wanted it to go so far that you had to look away. That's what he said. Now, if you saw The Passion of the Christ, anybody here see it? I saw it. I saw it one time. That's all I wanted to see. It was one time. I think he accomplished that. There was certainly a time when I wanted to look away. As I looked around the room, I saw many people with their head in their hands blocking the view of the screen. He brought you to that point. And yet, as I looked at, what was it, Jim Caviezel? Was that the, the actor? As I, Caviezel, thank you. Uh, as I looked at him, at the end, he still looked like a man to me. He still had not been beaten to that place. The death of Jesus was, was worse than that. Why? Because of sin. The Bible says, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. James tells us that if we say we love him, we want to keep his commandments. There's a heart and there's a desire for purity. And when we realize that we have been set free from sin, uh, the Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we have been set free from it by the work that Jesus did upon the cross. Why did Jesus have to die? The end of verse 22, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in which in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. 
He's back to his topic he introduced earlier in the book of Hebrews, and that was that the tabernacle is a shadow, a type, a copy, blueprints of a temple, a tabernacle that is up in heaven. And that where the heavenly priest went into the earthly tabernacle, Jesus went into the heavenly tabernacle. And where the earthly tabernacle was sprinkled with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, the heavenly tabernacle was sprinkled with the blood of the Messiah. That's all he's saying in verse 23. Read it again. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven, the heavens, or the copies of the things in the heavens, should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Once he gave that sacrifice upon the cross, once he was beaten, once he was bloodied, he appeared before God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It was sin that Jesus put away when he died upon the cross. And that is why when someone says, listen, I think there's another way to go to heaven. I think if you're sincere about what you believe, then you'll go to heaven. Or I think that, that if you just go to church, see, they want to take away the blood. They want to take away the sacrifice. They want to take away the work that Jesus did. And there is no other way that you can get to heaven but by Jesus. Because without blood, the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so there is no other way. It's the reason he had to die. It was the reason that even though he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, he had to go all the way to the cross. Well, there is a necessity for the death of an individual for the covenant. There is the necessity of blood because without blood, there's no remission of sins. Leviticus tells us the life is in the blood. We know that now in the scientific day in which we live, we know that our blood takes away impurities through our kidneys, that our, our blood gets oxygenated by our lungs, that our heart pumps the blood through our body. Without our kidneys, without our lungs, without our heart, we aren't able to live because the blood won't be able to do its work. So life is in the blood. But also there's another necessity, and that is the necessity of seeing Jesus. Necessity of death, necessity of blood, and necessity of seeing Jesus. The Bible says every I will see him. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and you will either be judged by him or you will be given salvation. Verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this comes judgment. Now that verse tells us a lot. Number one, it tells us that there is an appointment for death. It is appointed once for man to die. I don't know when my appointment is. I've got to say, in the last few months, I've kind of been hoping that it's sooner than later. Now, I'm not saying anything, all right? I'm not saying, don't, don't go, Pastor Robert, I'm not, okay, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm simply saying 
that after, you know, losing Lisa and missing her, that I find myself saying to the Lord, you know, Lord, I don't know that I want to live to be 90 years old, you know, just I'm already getting aches and pains at 52, okay? I'm ready if you want to take me now. We have an appointment, okay? And it's just appointed once for man to die. You don't get do-overs. You might be here today and you might be one of those Christians who believe in reincarnation. And by the way, there is really no Christians who believe in reincarnation, all right? So you've got some really serious theological problems if you are. But it's funny when you talk to someone who believes in reincarnation and you ask them, well, who were you in your former life? And they say, well, I was Caesar Augustus or I was Cleopatra, which is, if it's a guy, it's a real problem. You scratch your head and begin to wonder. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how they were always somebody really amazing in their past life and now they're who they are? It's like, I don't know, this whole reincarnation thing isn't working for you. If you were, you know, if you were Augustus in, in the former life and you're who you are now, aren't you supposed to be getting better, not worse? And how come nobody ever says who believes in reincarnation? Well, I used to be a bum that used to just beg for money. How come, you know, you don't ever have that? It's appointed once for man to die. There are no do-overs. That's why life is so serious. That's why we need to redeem the time. That's why we need to live our lives for Jesus as he, as he calls us to live because it's appointed once for man to die, but then comes judgment. You will stand before him. But because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, we have in verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait. I have those two words underlined, highlighted, and in parentheses in my Bible to those who eagerly wait for him who will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Eagerly waiting for his return. Jesus said, I'm coming again and I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am. It says in 1 Thessalonians that those who have gone before us are not going to precede us, but they're going to be reunited with their bodies and then we're going to be changed in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. Do you see why he goes here? why he goes to the return of Jesus in this text. As he's talking about the necessity of death for the covenant, he comes to the point at which some, maybe some of us, are not going to die. We have been so set free from death that after we die, we go on into eternity, but there are going to be some people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. Not everyone's going to die, but some are going to be changed in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. And we are to eagerly wait for Jesus. Are you so in love with the world and the things of this world that you don't eagerly wait for him? There was a song when I was a, a teenager that said this. I won't sing it to you, but I'll quote it. <laughs> Keep on walking. You don't know how far you've gone. Keep on walking. For all you know, it may be done. And the father might be standing up right now and give the call to end it all. So keep on walking. Right now, he might be standing up and in a few minutes, the sky may scroll back and Jesus will come through in all of his glory and you and I will be united with the one who loves us and died for us. Jesus said, you don't know when I'm coming back, so be ready. Are you eagerly waiting for him? What a contrast when you look between verses 27 and 28. It is appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment or that we are uh, that Christ will appear to those who eagerly wait to bring salvation. I want to be of the ones that receive salvation from him. And so the Bible says that as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. 
even to those who believe in his name. There's no other way for you to be saved. If you've been counting on the fact that you go to church or that you're a religious person or you were brought up in a religious home to make it into heaven, I want to tell you, you can't make it that way because no denomination ever died for you. No church ever shed its blood for you. No pastor or priest ever gave his life for you. But Jesus died upon the cross so your sins could be forgiven. And all you need to do today is say, Lord, I want you in my life. And before we leave this place today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I pray, I hope that you have the boldness to make that stand and to find the life that Jesus has intended for you. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you for this text, which tells us of the necessity of the death of Jesus, because we all are headed towards that point of death. Or perhaps you will come and transform some of us who are eagerly waiting for you. And we thank you that we have a good understanding that we must receive what Jesus did upon the cross or we will be judged. And I pray for those who are here who have never made a commitment. And I pray that you would bring them to the place, give them boldness to respond to you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few minutes. I'm also going to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We're going to dismiss you here in a moment. You can race everybody else out to the cars. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. The Bible says, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. That means you must receive him. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. And if any man would open that door, that he will come in. But you have to open the door. He's not going to force his way into your life. If you're here today, you've listened to this whole message, you've made it through, we're almost done. And you say, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow him. I'll take my chances in eternity. First of all, I'll say that's a bad choice, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to come to Jesus. But if you are here today and you want to find that forgiveness, you want to find life as God intended, you want to find the life he has for you, you were created for a purpose to run a race God has for you, and you want to find that life, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Lift your hand up right where you are. Just raise your hand up. Raise it up high. I want to see it. I want to acknowledge your hand. Lift your hand up now. God bless you, ma'am. Off to my right, and God bless you, sir. Back a little bit. That's great. Out in the foyer, God bless you. On the back here, the couple, that's great. God bless you. In the cry room, God bless you, ma'am. Back over here, a couple hands raised there. God bless you. Children there as well. God bless you guys. All the way in the back, sir. That's awesome. Back over here to my left. Ma'am, that's great. All the way back over here to the left. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm not going to go on and on. I, when I was a kid, I went to a church where the altar calls went on for 20 minutes. I would raise my hand, get saved again just to stop it. <laughs> I'm not going to go on and on. So if you want to give your life to Christ today, then lift your hand up now. Just raise your hand where you are. God bless you. God bless you here in the middle. Lift your hand again. All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. I also understand that I can be forgiven. 
by the death of Jesus upon the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.